0: Hello everyone, welcome back to our podcast. Very glad that you can be here and I'm very glad to be joined uh, by all three of my co-hosts. Uh, my name's Cameron, looking forward to this discussion. Uh, G'day, Ken here.
1: Uh, I'm also looking forward to it even though I have no idea what it's going to be about.
0: And and I'm Luke and I, I'm with Ken.
2: <laughs> and I'm Lachlan.
0: Yeah, I've um, <coughs> coerced uh, the three of you into uh, changing course a little bit on the grounds that I have to preach a, a sermon tomorrow. And um, I've had a pretty wild week and I've got a rough scheme for a sermon and was going to skip this recording uh, in order to sort of neaten up and, and sort of decide on the final narrative of the sermon and the essential ideas and the order in which they'd be introduced. Um, and then I thought, no, I should come and do it on the podcast while it's being recorded, and this way I can kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> it certainly
2: sounds like a, a potentially efficient idea. We'll have to see how it goes.
0: We'll have to see how it goes. So, um, And uh, the sermon is going to end up four times better because there's going to be four times as many minds um, contributing to it. Uh, or it could just end up four times as long. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how I, that I goes. I would argue,
3: Cam, that, that those are the two extremes. <laughs> The
0: map yeah. <laughs> onto whether or not
3: a sermon is good. Um, and the four times as long is not the good end of the spectrum. Put
0: yeah, that out okay. There. Not always. So, this is, this is then the premise that ties in with the quarter. This quarter's been talking about the crucible and how we are to survive the crucible by uh, prayer, by worship, uh, by being patient. Uh, all sorts of things have been recommended to us um, about surviving the crucibles of life. And,. I have always wanted to revisit an episode we did way back in, I think, the second season. So this is more than two years ago now, um, where we looked at a story at the end of Luke chapter 8. What we have not talked about very much as we talk about life's crucibles is how are we meant to respond to other people's times of trial and testing. Mm. So if, if you perceive me to be going through a difficult time, uh, what's the correct way we're meant to deal with that? And uh, it seems that it would be a pity to spend thirteen weeks talking about times of of trial and testing those crucible moments and not address this topic. So that's my um, that's my excuse for for diverting a little bit away from the lesson and taking us to Luke uh, eight verses forty to fifty three. And I propose we read this and then. We uh, spend a few minutes uh, discussing what we think the essential questions are that need to be asked and then um, piece together something out of that. Let's do it. Sure. Very good. I'm happy to start. I'm starting at Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped.
1: Then Jesus asked, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace.
3: While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher any more." Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep.
2: But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened.
1: I wonder how that worked okay. for them, or for him.
3: <laughs> well, yes, it's an well, interesting thing to consider, whether that um, was a little bit of reverse psychology. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I'm not well, sure that was perhaps. where you wanted to go, Ken.
0: My my question uh, was uh, to you, uh, what are the common themes or the comparisons or the questions no thought at this stage yet into structuring them into anything cohesive but what's the sort of central ideas that jump out i'll I'll start knowing there's a lot of people that know things um jesus just knows that someone touched him and the woman knows she was healed Mm. and the people know that the daughter is dead
2: yeah true uh
0: so uh what's interesting about that is that they're all correct
3: well uh, th- um, there's a, there's a few more in there as well cam yeah that. what are the others uh, well jesus makes sure that the people the crowd knows that the woman has been healed yeah um yeah, and good. then he also makes sure interestingly or at least on on a direct reading um he also makes sure that the that the crowd doesn't know what happened with the The girl who was dead hm yeah, yeah there's
2: a contrast there, isn't there? because it's it's going out of his way almost to make it public for the woman in the crowd and going out of his way verbally to make it to, to instruct that it remains secret mm. for and, and the other daughter.
1: contra another potential contrast there is that the one with the healing of the woman um, there was no statement by Jesus. Prior to the healing happening, uh, there was, as the narrative reads, or as I take the narrative to read, um, there was no intentional act of touching on his part. Um, uh, whereas in the raising of the young girl, he takes her by the hand and says to her child,
0: get up. Huh. So that's it. A- good. Yeah. I'm writing it down. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The, there's another theme here, Cam, which is the theme of faith, um, perhaps not as repated, repetitively touched on. But in verse 48, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has made you well. And in verse 50, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. So on the one hand, he's acknowledging faith that exists. And then almost immediately afterwards, he's encouraging a faith that is only tenuous Perhaps, or perhaps I'm yep. reading too much there. Maybe, maybe Jairus does indeed have great, strong faith, which is why his daughter is healed. It,
0: well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This, of course, last time we discussed this, we referred to the fact that just a couple of chapters previously, there's the Roman centurion who has an enormous amount of faith. Mm. Um, uh, okay, in what ways is the woman like the girl in this story? Well, they're
3: both. That Jesus helps them
0: both that's probably the most they're both Ill. The,
3: probably the most obvious one um, yes, they're both in need of healing but, uh, and Jesus provides what they need
0: they're both that's both a reference to twelve years oh, true. So for as long as the girl has been alive, the woman has been ill.
1: Mm. yes see uh, for for he had an only daughter about twelve years old who was dying. And the woman had been hemorrhaging
0: for 12 years. Uh, Which of them is a daughter? Well, in
2: verse 48, Jesus uses that word to address the woman.
0: Yeah, that's what jumped out at me when we read it Mm. through, is that they are both daughters. Mm.
2: Yeah. In verse 42, I'll just note this. It's a footnote in my... I'm reading the NLT at this particular time. In verse 42, talking about Jairus' daughter... The NLT says his only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. But there's a footnote that says, um, or his only child, a daughter. And of course, there's a subtle difference, isn't there? Because your only daughter could imply a great number of other children that all happen to be sons. Whereas it, it's a bit more explicit to say his only child, a daughter. And I can't remember who was reading at that point. I think you were, Cam. But I think your translation also just said um, his only daughter. That's correct, yeah. So so I I gather from the footnote that there is either some ambiguity or that, that perhaps it is in fact implying an only child, uh, a daughter.
3: Yeah. I, I think, well, I think it's significant that... Jesus doesn't call the, the girl daughter, but he does call her my child. And he calls yes. the other woman my daughter or daughter. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a very similar way of... That's the same relationship, the relationship of, of a father um, to a child. Yeah. So hmm. there, there are a lot of similarities. Um, Touch. Touch.
0: Is something that needs talking about. Um, as a general idea, there's the jostling crowd. Mm.
1: There's
0: the jostling crowd. There's the woman, and there's the um, daughter. It's
2: interesting, isn't it, that Jesus's clothing is somehow like it's. What I'm interested by here is what counts as the extremity, what counts as the person and not the person. So. Um, in verse 44, she touched the fringe of his robe. That's that's as,
3: as remote that's as distant to touch
2: as a touch, yeah. yeah. Um, and and yet it does have the effect desired. And in verse 45, Jesus says, Who touched me? So there's very clearly it, it, it has functioned as a touch, but it is the most distant touch you could possibly have. And it's fascinating that, that Jesus's clothing, his robe, is um. It's sort of still, I guess, within the the zone of power uh, in this, oh, in this zone sort of, of picture.
0: Power. The zone of power needs to be talked about because in the context of the Roman centurion, a few chapters previously, he doesn't even need a touch. And he states explicitly to Christ, your zone of influence is everywhere. Just say the word. Mm. I know how authority works.
1: Mm. Isn't that mm. interesting so, there? If you contrast that with the woman, she felt... She, she, like. She thought she needed to touch him. So it was her perception yeah. of his zone of influence, uh, of his zone yeah. of power, that, that impacted her action. Uh, and, and indeed, that's true of so much of what we do in faith. It's, it's what we,
0: hmm.
1: where we think God will work, where we think the limits of his activity arise. Uh, that's where we say, <laughs> well, that's where we act in faith. Um, well, do you know what, Do you know what, Ken? What you've just
2: said there highlights something to me that's really cool here. Because the servants, the messenger that arrives at Jairus, what does the messenger say? The messenger has a pretty clear picture of what the, the limits of Jesus' zone of power is. The daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now, right? There was faith that he could heal. But now that, that door is closed. So this is passed outside the zone of Jesus' power.
0: Even the even the the faith that he can heal is not as good as the the woman. The woman just needs to touch him. Mm. Whereas Jairus asks Jesus to come to his house. Hmm. Um. So Jairus well, it, no. believes that that Jesus has to come and be physically present, and Jesus has to intend the healing. The woman doesn't believe that that Jesus has to invoke consciously invoke some power. The woman mm. believes that just touching him will be enough. So. Of, of the Roman centurion and the woman and Jairus, Jairus is the one whose picture of how God works is most restrictive.
1: Mm. Mm. It's interesting because there are various protocols in relation to who visits who when mm. in, in terms of who has a position of greater authority and power. And generally the person with a lower status is required to visit the person with higher status. Um, mm. uh, and what does that say about Jairus's perception of who should be going where, and the woman's perception,
3: um, mm. and of, indeed the centurions, and perception. the centurions, yeah. Because the centur- the centurion, I mean, I it's in in Luke these stories don't come next to each other, but I think in one of the, I think it might be Matthew they are they are closer together. I love putting the centur these in the context of the centurion story because they're all very similar. Somebody wants somebody to be healed and they come to jesus in various ways to receive the healing um, and jesus treats them all quite differently but 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 very explicitly in a direct comparison of the three stories the centurion is the one who treats jesus with the most respect mm, mm, he treats him mm. as someone with authority he does not ask him to come to his house he goes to jesus and asks for help that's it's a, a good point isn't yeah. it?
0: and doesn't he say doesn't he say i'm not worthy i'm trying yeah. to find uh, the faith of the he centurion does. in chapter 7 uh, he says, uh, "I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you."
3: Huh. Mm. That's that, that interesting. Yeah, in, in a sense, the woman—the woman—is similar because she she doesn't believe that she is worthy of Jesus' attention. She just mm. f- feels like what she she can get what she needs, but also all she deserves. The most she deserves is to be in proximity. You know, the the fleetingest yeah. of physical touches.
0: Now, she, she doesn't deserve that even, though, either, because she's unclean.
3: Well, yes, there is that. And Now, I can't help
2: contrasting this with the, the story of the blind beggar beside the road that comes just before the story of Zacchaeus. I think it's Luke 19. Um, because the blind beggar is crying out, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he gets told to be quiet, and he doesn't. He just cries out more and more. Right? He makes a nuisance of himself because he, he wishes to attract the attention. He wants to engage the conscious attention of Jesus. How different is that from this woman who is doing her best not to make a scene? There's an interesting well, contrast and, there, and isn't I there? I
1: want to pick up on two parts of that. Um, this idea that she doesn't want to make a scene. It's mysterious to me that it is abundantly clear from Peter's response that the answer to Jesus' question, who touched me, is unascertainable. And yet, the woman saw that she could not remain hidden. It seems to me... Exactly. I noticed that too. It seems to me... (laughs) I mean, if Peter's right, she could have remained hidden. She could have just slunk off and said, thank you very much in her heart. Yeah. and left it at that. There was there was no need for her to reveal herself if what Peter said is right. And it seems that what he said is right. It, it makes perfect sense. Um, uh, nobody's answered because nobody can understand what on earth he's talking about. Who could tell who touched
0: him? Um... Well, the, the <laughs> inference of the story is that Christ doesn't know. Now, presumably he did.
2: Well, well I think that that must be what the woman mm. feels. When, when she says that she could not stay hidden... I agree with you, Ken. It jumped mm. out at me as we read through it, that phrase, because I thought, logically, she mm. is already hidden. Mm. <laughs> what, she what, could what just is stay that way. But I, think, <laughs> but I think from her perspective, she has done her best. To, we, we just commented, the most peripheral of possible touches. She's touched the fringe of his robe, and he's immediately turned around and said, who touched me? She must feel like she, there's no way she yeah. could stay well, hidden. I was
3: going to say, look, it's, it's almost, and the story's written this way. It's almost as though she's she's pickpocketed him. She's you right. know it she's stolen something. And oh, but then yeah. she's he's noticed, you know. Mm. And so now she's <laughs> <laughs> and indeed she's if she stuck. is unclean she has stolen something. She has
1: done the wrong thing. Uh, not only by being there but by touching Jesus.
0: Well, yes, cultural. Mm, in fact. Yeah, true. Um, no no no, he's interesting because she is unclean. And she touches Jesus and the daughter is unclean because she's dead and Jesus touches her. So both of them are unclean.
1: You see, this is one of the points I think that I wanted to bring out of uh, Lachlan, your other example and these. Uh, It doesn't matter to Jesus. It doesn't matter to God where you think the zone of his power might be. Mm. Uh, He is prepared to uh, voluntarily or even involuntarily meet you where you are with your faith.
2: Mm.
3: I, I think that's a really, really good point, Ken. In both of these stories here, and also in the Centurion one, um, Jesus, Jesus acts. Um, he meets people where they're at. He acts according, yeah. firstly, to their somewhat to their expectations, um, but he also. I mean, I think in 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 all of these stories, um, he's also really acting outside of people's. I'm not expressing this very well. Um, there's there's a paradox
1: to what he's doing.
3: Yes, there, there's a bit of a paradox. He does what people need in a way that they ask of him, right? The centurion mm. asks him to to just heal remotely, you know. Um, the 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 lady asks, in a sense, to to heal by touching his clothes, and, and Jairus asks him to heal by coming to his house. Jesus does all of those things. But in addition to that, he also is constantly teaching and do, giving public lessons and breaking conventions and, and um, mm, yeah. que- you know, questioning assumptions um, in, in everything that he's doing. Um and I, the point you know i i've i've made it before on this podcast but i i, I really like the observation which isn't mine um, but i've heard it and and it stuck with me i really like it jesus did not need to stop in that crowd because the woman was already healed and like you hmm. you said she could have just said a thanks in her heart and left mm. right mm. but jesus publicly Told everyone that her faith had made her well, and that she was no longer unclean, and did that in front of the crowd, um, f- w- for a reason other than healing her, because she was already healed.
0: Ah, uh, well, this is one direction I wanted to go with the sermon. Luke, I listened to a podcast recently about um, a heat wave that hit Chicago in, I think, the eighties. Is that right, Locke? You've listened to the same podcast, was it the 80s? Yeah, I
2: have listened to the podcast. I, th- I think it was the 80s, yeah. Uh, As in not ancient, ancient history. Yeah. Modern enough that, you know, there were things like air conditioners.
0: Yeah, so there were things like air conditioners, and but infrastructure failed. There's a massive um, hot, humid cell settled, settled over Chicago. Um, the pressure in the water mains dropped because so many people were putting on sprinklers and fire hydrants to stay school, uh, cool. The fire... The Electricity exchanges melted because of everyone turning on air conditioners. And this ended up in the city morgue having to process 760-something um, corpses from dying, dying from heat stroke. They, they were so over, um, over overwhelmed. overwhelmed that they had seven meat trucks parked in yeah. the parking lot. to Refrigerated truck trailers. Yeah, to keep the corpses cold. Now, a few years previously an aircraft had crashed at O'Hare and 260 people had died and it was a massive media firestorm. Um, with 700 and something people dying, it was as if an aeroplane had crashed on three consecutive days. Mm. That's the number of bodies. And and the media was downplaying it heavily. Oh, it's just the heat. Old people die anyway when they get old. You know, Did they die with the heat or did they die of the heat? And the politicians got involved and it was all... No one wanted to claim responsibility and it it wasn't acknowledged at the time for being the huge crisis that it was. What's interesting is that um, the death rate was extremely uh, non-uniform. And you would imagine that the richer suburbs... varied,
2: varied varied, very strongly effectively by postcode. Mm.
0: Yeah, by postcode. Very, very much, but not necessarily with socioeconomic status. So there were two neighbouring suburbs, I think it was North and South Lonsdale, um, and one of them had a death rate ten times higher than the other, and they had almost identical socio-economic um, status inhabitants. And the reason is that one of the suburbs had a high vacancy rate. There were a lot of vacant blocks, and the, and the gangs used to meet there to, to sell drugs. And people in that suburb did not feel safe leaving the house. In fact... There wasn't much point walking to the local shops anyway because there weren't many local shops. There were vacant blocks and dangerous people and you could get mugged and your um, house could be broken into if you were away. And people in these suburbs, um, if you asked them about where they lived, which sociologists did afterwards to try and nut down what was the differentiating factors between the, the different death rates, the people in this suburb said things like, oh, I don't want to go out. I, when someone answers the door, I don't open it. I talk through the latch because you don't know who it is and it could be anyone, and I shut the windows at night in case someone breaks in. Um, I don't want to talk to anyone and I don't want anyone to talk to me. Uh, the the people in the neighbouring suburb had a higher um, residency f- fulfilment rate. The buildings weren't half empty. Uh, there were children about. There were enough people uh, population to support shops the local shops were local communities there was a greengrocer on every corner there was a chemist there was a, and of course these shops had air conditioners that were running and what happened was if you lived in a community where you felt safe and connected when the heat wave came you just went down to the local shop
2: mm. and you had people within the community that might be that might be checking up on you and pe- maybe giving you a phone people call people would and, check up and, on you you know mm.
0: Uh, whereas if you lived yeah. in the suburb where people felt unsafe before the heat wave came, this is what the sociologists found was during the heat wave people, people behaved the same as they had behaved for years. They lo- sh- they shut their windows. they didn't answer the, f- the phone or the door. When people came to knock on the door to you know the state emergency workers would come to knock on people to talk to them, the doors were not open to them um, because they didn't feel safe. And the the summary of the investigation that was done by a significant um, sort of academic sociologist who was trying to nut into this was he concluded it was not the failing physical infrastructure that killed people; it was the failing social infrastructure, and it had been failing for a long time. And his comment was, "It takes a lot of work to make a city this dysfunctional."
1: <laughs> and so,
0: <coughs> so uh. I would say, I mean, you were just saying uh, Jesus didn't need to um, highlight this woman's plot uh, because she'd already been healed. I think that the um, that the that when when, it is, when she announces to the crowd that she's been healed, they know that she is not unclean anymore, and that she's welcome to be part of the community. And in fact, she's been commended for her faith. That's part of the healing.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's 100% my point. There's there's more to it than the physical healing. Um, there is the social element of it as well. Mm. And the questioning of, of the social um, conventions and assumptions, mm. you know, um, because what he says to her, your faith has healed you. This is the faith that she had before she was healed. So while she was still unclean. You know, uh, he's not saying you've been made clean and now you're okay. He's saying you were always a faithful person. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: yeah. In fact, it wasn't now I'm thinking fault. about it. Now I'm thinking about it. The centurion is commended for his faith, and the woman is commended for hers, but Jairus is not commended for his.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, it's and, interesting. It's interesting. He's a leader of the synagogue. Well, that, and, uh, yeah, that's what I was trying to get at with the with what I was saying before is that. Jesus does what people ask of, ask, he does what people ask him, to ask, <laughs> he does what people ask him, no, I'm still not getting it right. To do? Ask of him. Yes, he does what people ask of him, right? He heals Jairus' daughter, right? But then his interactions with Jairus and his interactions with the woman and his interactions with the centurion are all very different. And I would say he shows more respect to the ones who show more respect to him. I wonder whether there's something in this the, this
1: fact that Jairus was a religious leader um, and whether there's uh, and that there might be something in that which helps to explain why he told them not to tell anyone what had happened. so with the with the untouchable, he restores her to the community. Uh, with the religious leader, he Heals the daughter and does what is asked of him, um, but specifically seeks not to
3: make it a religious enterprise. Um, hmm. I, 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 I've, I've wondered that it's a very similar thing myself, Ken. Whether or not it's he, he goes out of his way to make sure he is not elevating the already very high-status person hmm. even further, while at the same time lifting up. The lower status people, and in the case of the centurion, I think that one's really the most radical because he's basically saying, "This outsider has a place in the kingdom mm. of God, um, and and greater faith than than any of you." <laughs> I mean, he literally says that to the crowd: "Is that like, this yeah, this know. hated oppressor, foreigner, pagan yeah. has more faith than you do, and belongs in the kingdom of God?"
1: And and as so far as there's degrees of faith, and we use these different words. Um, uh, in in the law, um, a suspicion is a lower level degree of certainty as a state of mind than a belief, um, and a belief is a lower degree of certainty state of mind than knowledge, and and often in our everyday lives we think about you know you have a suspicion or you have a belief or you ha- and then you have knowledge and sometimes we then go and say well you know somewhere outside of those arenas. Is, is this faith. Um, but I do. I do uh, th- there might be some support for these different levels of confidence in God's ability or willingness to act or in Christ's willingness or ability to act because he tells the daughter, uh, he tells the woman uh, who he's healed, it's your faith uh, that has healed you. When he talks to Jairus, he says to him, he, he specifically counteracts what Jairus has been told about his daughter be, being dead as making everything that follows now a waste of time. But he says to him, not have faith. Uh, he says, only believe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so for Jairus, faith isn't necessary, if you like. It's uh, just mere belief is all that's required. Um, uh, and yet it was the woman's greater uh, level of confidence, if you like. Uh that was a, a faith rather than mm. just a belief. Hey, on
2: that cam, there's another thing that, that may go onto your list. Jairus is told by Jesus, don't be afraid. In verse 47, when the woman realizes that she couldn't be hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees. It doesn't use the word fear, but it's implying a fear type response. Mm. There's, a, there's a fear that is present in these in these situations you know that ties them together.
0: So there's there's the thing of fear, compare that with the Centurion. Mm. the Centurion has has the highest degree of respect of christ uh, respect for Christ out of all of them, uh, but he's not afraid of him at all mm. mm he says, I know how this works you're in charge you're absolutely in charge. I'm not even worthy to talk to you, and you don't need to come mm. to my house
1: there There's a great <laughs> misunderstanding. you see uh there is, yes, uh, we struggle to know how to deal with power. Um, and uh, But the centurion knew about power, and he knew how to relate to power. He exercised power. Um, uh, hmm. Ultimate power in many ways. As a centurion, he would uh, have had the power of life and death. Um, uh, and uh, just as... <laughs> Christ had the power of life and death, and, and the centur- which the centurion recognised, um, uh, and so he knew that power is also a positive thing. Uh, it's not something necessarily mm. to be afraid of, um, uh, unless you're on the wrong side of it. Um, uh, but there's a sense in which all uh, this uh, we, we are afraid of raw power, and that's what the the woman has seen demonstrated. Uh, Un, mm. un, uh, unabridged power, at a, at at mm. Mm. at the margins, uh, and and when we see power exercised in a way that's not within our control or understanding, it is a it is a thing of fear.
0: Yeah. Mm. Mm. I I um uh, I'm going to have to abbreviate this because we need some time to sort of cobble this together into some sort of structure. Um, uh, here's an idea um, would you rather be dead after 12 years of presumably a fairly comfortable life as the daughter of the synagogue or lonely for 12 years hmm. and and I, I wonder if this is part of what's going on Jesus is saying to Jairus for as long as your daughter has been alive this woman's been all on her own that is just as important I think there mm. has to
1: be some con- something of great significance with the twelve years and the fact that the healing occurs while he's on a way, while he's on his way to a healing. Mm. Um, there's, yeah. there's, yeah, definitely connections
0: there. So uh, to get back to the question we had at the start, which I'm not sure is the right question to phrase the sermon around, but it's worth addressing in as much as it fits into our, our season um, on crucibles. Uh, what do we learn from this story about how we should treat the troubles of other people
3: well i i think the f- the first greatest lesson is is with is with kindness and compassion uh, th- there is no interaction jesus has with people where he he doesn't display that towards them i think even yeah, jesus
0: ev- doesn't say jesus doesn't say to them uh, just be patient and endure. This is for the strengthening of your character. Y- yes. <laughs> and he, does, he
3: doesn't
0: He does say, well, ha- have you done something wrong? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he doesn't say that God works all things together for good for those who trust in him.
1: Mm. It's all part of his plan. Yes.
3: It's all
0: part of You'll his plan. You'll understand
3: one day. I mean, not that some of these things we're saying might not be true. I think the point is these are not necessarily the comforts that... Uh, some people may think they are when delivered to someone who's in, who's in 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 the in the darkest pit of their present suffering um you don't need to I think what Jesus makes real clear is w- with these people their faith is their faith Jesus doesn't see a need to try and bolster their faith in in their in their suffering he just cares about them
2: mm-hmm and there's a there's a meeting them where they're at we have just discussed this a bit at length different different people have different pictures of what god is doing and can do and how it all works and and jesus seems comfortable
3: working with that yep yeah very very comfortable working with it in the you. same way um,
1: that the the father in the story of the prodigal son was prepared to go out and meet both the returning prodigal and the uh, remaining elder Mm -hmm. son. He went out to them both, where they were.
0: Yeah, very nice. Uh, A separate issue that I've been thinking about, which has some impact on this, uh, is I've been thinking a lot about the phrase to leave something in God's hands. Mm. And the phrase has less and less meaning to me. The more I think about it, the more opaque it is. Uh, We usually mean... By the phrase I, "I'm going to leave this in God's hands," we usually mean by that I will do nothing. I'll just sit around and wait for Him to do something, hmm. and that's not the course of action that the centurion or the woman or Jairus takes.
3: Yes, it's also yeah. Cam, I, I've noted a phrase very often used when I can't, when people can't do anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it in God's hands yeah. because I literally don't have any other option.
1: And, and and there is, look, that's so true, Luke. And the other element of it is that it's often said in a manner that is intended to convey a faith and a confidence and a trust in the outcome, whatever it will be, uh, that God might... Uh, will for the situation, I have always had a suspicion that sometimes it's actually a lack of trust in God's willingness or ability to actually do something so that whatever happens, we can just attribute it to God's will.
0: Can it certainly uh, suggest a lack of trust in God's ability to work with us? if it's if i have to do nothing for god to be able to work if leaving it in god's hands means i just sit at home and wait for him to do something then i'm not and I, I mean i have genuine this is an area where i have just lots of genuine questions how does god work not in spite of me but through me
1: and and we often treat the work of god and our work as mutually exclusive um
3: Yes, uh, that that assumptions often made, and and
1: that... and it is, it, and it just is not right. And the and many yeah. of the stories that we've uh, seen recently uh, will illustrate that. Um, the um, king, what? Who was the king that the, the j King that we were dealing with recently? Um
3: oh, there's so. Yeah, Jeho- there's there's so king. many of them.
1: Yeah. Um. G, oh yeah. Anyway, whichever. Uh, it's yeah. Jehoshaphat. Well, I actually, I, I won't go there. Let me go. Let me go here. Um, we, uh, take the Psalm where David says I was, you know, he knit me in the womb, um, uh, and the others about, uh, he, God's creative act in bringing human life into existence, not just initially, but each human life, uh, um, and we say that's right, but we, then we tend to, to ignore, and, and we talk about the immaculate conception, um, as that miracle of God, um, But the truth is, human life is brought about uh, by biological processes of (laughs) the interaction of um, uh, men and women. Uh, That does not mean it is not also the act of God. Uh, Indeed, God's actions um, are manifest uh, through our actions. It is also how he speaks to us. He speaks to us through our thoughts. Um, uh, And... The fact that it is God's thought, or the fact that it is, sorry, I'll go the other way around, the fact that it is my thought does not mean it is not God speaking. Um, uh, it's an interaction exactly the same. I, I don't know whether that's helpful in your discussion, but...
0: Well, there's... Well, this... this um, maybe it's a bit easier for the people in these stories because they had the person of Christ walking around, but maybe not um, they but what is what is true is that um, they they did something to try and connect with God and that God really respected them for that yeah
3: I I, uh, I think it comes in a way you know thinking of the topic of what what should we do and what should we do when we see people suffering um you know, that it's a bit of a cliche, but I think that's there's some utility to it, it's the, the the statement, you know. It's it's not about whether or not God's on our side. It's about whether or not we're on his side. So our responsibility is to do our very best to align our actions with what God would want. Um as as we know at, it. And we might yeah. have an
0: incomplete view like the like the woman or Jairus, and we might not See things as clearly as the centurion did, but but God's quite happy
3: to meet us where to we're work at, with... yeah. And and um, uh, you know what we know we absolutely must not do, and we you know from the parable of of the talents, uh, and and other teachings that are very clear is nothing, you know. <laughs> mm. Um We must do something uh, according to what we have, mm. uh, and I I think uh, for me the element of faith then is in uh, trusting that um god can meet me where where i'm at um can use me in spite of my flaws and and uh that my efforts to fulfill his plan have meaning and value
0: hmm.
1: and may in fact constitute the fulfillment of his plan
2: mm. There's another, there's another element here, which is occurring to me, and it's a, it's a shared detail between both these stories, and I don't have the right word. It's somewhere between almost scoffing and incredulity. In the first case, in verse 45, it's Peter, but he's expressing the sentiment of the crowd, saying, well, how can we know who touched you? The whole crowd. It's sort of like, well, that was a stupid question, Jesus. And then down in verse 40, 53, Jesus after Jesus has said well she's not dead she's only asleep the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died in both those cases there's a there's a very easy and obvious answer right but Peter's answer and the crowd's answer is both it is very easy very obvious and missing the point yeah
0: so I'm gonna cut in because I'm eyeing the clock and uh, certainly if my sermon goes this long there'll be people fidgeting in their seats so I'm gonna brought in I've nominated and you guys have nominated some questions to which the passages we've read might provide an answer uh, is there a question that I've not asked that we've not asked that you would turn to these passengers now retrospectively as we've gone and looked through what the common elements are and the comparisons and the and the themes what's, what's, um, we're doing the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trick where we've found the answer but we're looking for the question <laughs> Um the question of life, the universe and everything. Uh, is there a question th- for which the answer is contained in these passages? Uh,
1: I, I, I might, it might be phrased in a number of different ways. Um, uh, what is the precondition to God's action? What is a precondition to God's action? Or what does God require of us uh, as part of his action? Or what? I don't know. Is that a question yep. that might be there?
3: Yep. Um well, I, I've got a question that is maybe meant to provoke some thought, but uh, we could we could try this one. I don't necessarily have a good answer for it, but it would be something along the lines of in, in our in our present day context, who's the centurion?
0: Hmm. Um, and who is the woman, and who's the who's Jars? Well,
3: yeah, I mean, I, I straying away from Luke Gate, I know, but the, the centurion I like because he's the outsider. Who has greater faith than any of the insiders? Well, I think we're kidding ourselves if we think that that scenario isn't playing out today. So who 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 is it? Can we identify these people in our community?
0: How, would would we be willing to being told? Yeah.
3: How would we react to being told by God that they have more faith than us?
0: Could be a Roman Catholic. Look, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah,
3: I, yeah. I I've Some just spent Polish I've person. just spent three days this week or two two days in a bit. Uh, at workshops with, among others, the uh, the staff of Caritas, uh, with oh. whom we work quite closely these days. Um, and there was a lot of work. Uh, there was a lot of work in the early days of relationship building, um, making sure everyone understood uh, that we weren't get involved in doctrinal issues.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Locke, do you have a question? Um,
2: yeah, I don't know how to formulate it, but both of these stories feature crowds and the crowds are, are pretty oblivious to what is actually going on so my question would be how how can i make sure that i'm keeping my eyes open rather than just falling in with the crowd how, how can i make sure that i am not just one of the crowd cuz um yeah i'm not express i'm not finding the right words but the the there's a call in this story. the The answer is, be alert because there are things happening that are not always obvious, but are really important. So, so when I say they're not always obvious, it's because the crowds in these both of these stories, the crowds
1: are, well, actually, are not aware. Actually, the second story is isn't a crowd, and it's expressly not a crowd because uh, when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother.
0: There is the crowd yeah, of mourners.
1: This, there. Yeah, they were all weeping and wailing for her. I guess but I guess said, I'm referring I'm referring dead, to the people sleeping. in and they laughed at him now but it's not who's the they. No.
2: Uh, oh, Okay. I I'm, I'm being led astray by the paraphrase, the new living or the translation, the new living translation that I'm reading. Verse 53 for me says, "But the crowd laughed at him because they all yeah. knew she had done." But he,
1: but you know, in the narrative, he's already gone into the house without allowing anybody to enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father yeah.
0: and mother. Ah, uh, But the mourners are probably already that, in the well, house. Well, uh,
1: are they or are they not? I don't know.
0: Um, yeah. The way I read it yeah. was um, Jesus didn't... Of all the people traveling with Jesus, he didn't let anyone come with him except those. Mm. But there were people well, already in the ambigu- house. It's, it's
3: quite ambiguous. Fair. in fact <laughs>
0: alright I've been well, led you know, astray by the wording in a, you may in be a... right mm. yes trans-
3: we, yeah. I don't know we can't really <laughs> we would have to go to the original Greek and then learn how to read ancient Greek uh,
0: the, the question <laughs> I was thinking was um, what dimensions are there of a healthy life uh, that God wishes to restore us to it's not just physical health mm mm-hmm. mhm Mm-hmm. And what can we do as a church to be more active in increasing people's social connection, in finding marginalized yep. people and building them up? Uh, you know, uh, uh, that's a very roundabout way of asking the question. Uh, yeah, what does a healed life look like? It looks like one where you're connected mm. with people. And churches should be better at this than, than other institutions because we have a really mm. strong mandate that that every person we see is made in God's image. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> shall we leave it there
1: because we're at 54 Mm. minutes
0: okay well then (laughs) my goodness that that went quick yeah 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 this will be the real
2: question the real question is cam have has this been a helpful way to prepare a sermon
0: i'll find out (laughs) 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 we won't know till tomorrow i'm looking
1: forward to uh, uh seeing the outcome
0: can i confess something um I was asked what final hymn I wanted for the sermon and I wasn't sure because I wasn't sure what direction the sermon was going. So I'm going to wait and find out what the final hymn is and that may determine the direction of the closing thoughts. Um, (laughs) uh, Thank you, our listener, for uh, tuning in. Send us comments, if so you wish, to SabbathSchoolFromHome at gmail.com and we appreciate any feedback. Share this podcast with anyone who you feel would benefit from it. And uh, please join us again next week.